Hi, everybody. Uh, this is Imu Shalev, and welcome back to another episode of Aleph Beta Quarantined. I wanted to bring this conversation to you. Uh, I'm talking to Eitan Zeriker, uh, my colleague. He is an LCSW and a trauma therapist. And I wanted to chat with him about a lot of the things that are going on today, how it's impacting us psychologically, our anxieties, maybe how to talk to our kids. And don't worry, Rabbi Foreman will be joining us shortly in an upcoming episode. Hi, how are you, Ima? I am. That's, you know, that's a complicated question nowadays, right? Which is why you're a good guy to talk to. So Eitan, I want to talk to you about um, a lot of the, uh, the thoughts and feelings swirling around in my brain. Um, and I think on the minds and hearts of, of many others, um, there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of anxiety as to, you know, what the next days are going to bring. We're basically quarantined, extreme social distancing, no shul, no school. My kids are home, no play dates. I'm trying to figure out the next three days. And then my mind is spinning because I know it's not going to be three days. It's, it's not going to be a week. It's not going to be two weeks, right? This could be a month. And then I think a month, oh, there, there's Pesach, and I was supposed to go to a hotel, I was supposed to speak at a hotel. And then I'm thinking, boy, the economy is really bad right now. There's a lot of anxieties, a lot of thoughts that are spiraling. Tell me how I and others can maybe make sense of those thoughts and feelings. It's a great question, Imu. Yeah, there's so much uncertainty about the future that's really going on right now. And that's it's tough for humans to have to have uncertainty in the future. You mentioned a whole bunch of things in those few short sentences. You mentioned thoughts and feelings. You mentioned short-term worries, long-term worries. You used the word not, like things are not going to be a certain way. And then you changed it and you said they could be a certain way. And then you went back to saying they will not be a certain way. So there's, there's a few things going on there as I, as I listened. So to start, I think human brains are made to try to make sense of things. So for example, when you hear that somebody got into an accident, right? Like what's the first thing you ask? You ask, what happened? We don't usually stop and ask like, oh, are you okay? Is everyone all right? The first thing we try to do is to figure out what was the storyline? Like what is, what is all the information I can gather so I can make sense of this? Mm. And right now what we have in front of us is like that annoying puzzle that's missing like piece, you know, one piece, but here it's missing a lot of pieces. So our brains are sitting there in this like, you know, uncomfortable state saying, I want a full puzzle. I want data, but I don't have it. So what do we do? The brain is incredibly good at trying to write its own storyline about the future. Mm -hmm. They're good at traveling to the past mm -hmm. when we worry about regrets. And they travel to the future when they worry about what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. I think everybody's doing it. It's completely normal. It's what makes us humans. It's what helped us like establish the world instead of some other mammal or animal doing it. It's because of our ability to think about the future, plan for it, and then be ready for it. So your brain is doing its job. It's thinking about the future. Yeah, yes, but it, it feels very unpleasant. It does. Yes. It's not comfortable because of that, 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 that uncertainty. Yeah. So I, I appreciate the validation um, and I get that it's normal. Um, but how would you recommend us going forward with those feelings? Um, you know, sometimes I can tell that, you know, there's, there are thought spirals that may not be very productive and sometimes it's very confusing. Tell me how one deals with those thoughts and emotions. So the interesting thing is that people want to be able to control their thoughts or do something about it. And the truth is we can't control our thoughts. We can't get rid of our thoughts, I should say. What we can do is replace our thoughts with different thoughts. Our, our brain won't stop thinking, but we can sort of choose what we focus on. 
So do you, you have any you have any food nearby that's maybe on your desk near you or something you could reach from where you're sitting? I have a coffee. You have a cup of coffee. Okay, great. That's perfect, actually. Now, if you could look at the cup from where you are right now, what what do you notice about it? If you were to look at it objectively as if you're seeing it for the first time. Um, it has a pretty cool pattern on it that I didn't notice, mm-hmm. like sort of a paisley. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that uh, if I give myself a, a moment with with the cup, um, yeah, the the pattern is is more vibrant. Um, mm-hmm. I'm noticing its color; it's like different shades mm-hmm. of uh, of tan. Um, the paisley is kind of curled in a very floral sort of way. Mm-hmm. That's great. You noticed it. You really took a moment to pay attention to the pattern. You noticed something that's a little bit new and a little bit more vibrant than if you just look past it. How about if you if you pick up the cup now and and hold it in your hand? Hold it in two hands. Maybe put one hand underneath. Really like feel how heavy it is. Feel the bottom rim. What's the texture like? What do, what do you notice as you're holding this cup as if as if you've never seen it before, or never felt it before? <laughs> I mean, it feels very cuppy. <laughs> Um, is it smooth? Is it rough? Is there something about it, the weight of it in your hand that feels either comforting or reminds you of something or just has any, you have any reaction to holding that cup? Uh, the top, it's smooth. It's like a glazed mm-hmm. pottery. It feels kind of nicer than like a metallic sort of cup or a plastic mm-hmm. cup. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It feels a bit more alive. And on the bottom, it's a bit grainy because it's pottery. Um, it has heft. It has warmth. Um, it's warm. You feel the warmth in your hand, and it feels a little. You got some weight there. Yes. Now, how about how about how about when when you look inside the cup? What what color? What color is the coffee? I drink black coffee. Black. It's black. Can you smell it from where it is right now, or would would you would you pick it up and and give it a real deep smell? Oh yeah, that smells really good. You like that? Yeah, it's a great smell. And if you look at the ripples as it moves around in the cup a little, sloshes around a bit. Um. I wouldn't say it's glorious. It actually looks more like nuclear waste when I look at it very closely. Okay. <laughs> but it smells really good. It smells good. It smells good. Now, now, if you bring it up to your lips really, really slowly, and you take, let's say, like the smallest sip that you can muster, and hold it in your mouth, really, really taste it before you swallow it. Is that is that what you thought when you looked at when when you look at the coffee and it looks like nuclear waste? Could you imagine that such a thing tastes like that? Um, you know, no, my my brain definitely associ- associates them together, but no, it's kind of wild to think of. Uh, it it looked like black nuclear waste, but when you taste it, it has a real depth of flavors, and mm-hmm. the tip of my tongue kind of felt a little a little bit more sweet, and then as it mm-hmm. traveled to the back of my my tongue, it. Uh, had all all sorts of bitter flavors. Um, it sort of felt like the depth of the flavor from sweet, a little bit to a little bit sour, and then bitter um, really uh, unfolded across my palate. And that that's mm-hmm. interesting to think of it as coming from the black nuclear waste <laughs> coffee. Yeah, <laughs> there's this black liquid that somehow the the stuff in your mouth responds or and then your brain responds a certain way to it and it has a smell that comes off and there's something that it does when you smell it and when you taste it and the feeling of warmth that it gives you and now if you were to bring it back to your mouth and take take a nice a nice like an appropriate gulp or however you would call it to enjoy it thoroughly you feel it go down how how does coffee feel for you 
all the comfort and warmth and energy that you get from even each gulp. What's that like? It's great. Um, it's definitely comforting. It's uh, energizing. Uh, it's familiar. Yeah, it feels kind of heightened, like a, a much more mm -hmm. heightened version of the coffee that I drink normally. Ah, yeah. So, Imu, I want to ask you a question. We've been working, we've been doing this uh, coffee tasting experiment for, I don't know, maybe it's four minutes, maybe it's five. In those four or five minutes, how many times did you think about coronavirus? Not once. And the future? Not once. I mean, I Not felt once. like a little silly at times, but I yeah. didn't I didn't <laughs> think about the coronavirus or about my right. future Pesach plans. Yeah, yeah. There's this ability we have for our brains to jump to the future and jump to the past on its own. But when we decide that I'm going to sit in this moment and do something to feel something, we, we, can, we can decide where our brains go. And that's an exercise that somebody could do with almost any piece of food or really anything, even the chair that they're sitting in. If the person who's listening to this right now just decides to stop for a moment right now, take a breath and just Feel whatever is supporting them in the world, whether they're standing on the floor or there's a seat below them and feel where their body comes in contact with it. And you feel how you can settle in a little more and be a little more comfortable in your body and that you could rely upon the things that are around you holding you up. We can use our brains in many different ways. We don't have to let it always jump to the past or the future. We could really be present. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that was wild. I don't know whether... Um... <laughs> I don't know whether everybody followed along or if this was as calming to, to all of you as it was to me, but um, it certainly was calming. I certainly felt, I, I would say those are probably my, the best four minutes of, of my day so far, <laughs> least anxious four minutes of my day so far. Wow. My question to you, Eitan, would be, I feel like what we just did was a, was mindfulness. Is that right? Is that mindfulness? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't want to say that it's effortful. Or like it takes a terrible amount of willpower. But why is it? Like I, I'm, I'm familiar with the techniques of mindfulness. Why is it that I don't whip it out, right? Like why don't I turn on my mindfulness, right? The, mm -hmm. the technique we, you just demonstrated felt very powerful. Can you, can you help me figure out a way to make sure to do this? It's a great question. It's really true. People, A lot of people know what to do and then it's hard to really do it, right? We all know a lot of good things that are good for us, but we don't always do it. We don't go to the gym. We don't go to sleep on time. We don't always eat right. So I like to um, consider those moments that you just practiced to be going to the gym, the mind gym, where we where we take a moment and we actually practice and we work out. It is not easy. It's effortful. It's, it's basically concentration, mm -hmm. which can tire us out. If we practice it often enough, then it becomes a little more frequent in the front of our mind. We become better at it. We become stronger at it. Like you go to the gym enough times, you'll not huff and puff as much up the stairs. Mm -hmm. If you practice things like this frequently enough, then you'll also notice that when it comes time to uh, to be worried or to have a quiet moment, we don't get as swept away by our thoughts, by our negative thoughts. We don't we don't get as caught up in moments because we're aware that that moment, those thoughts that are bothering us, are just thoughts, mm -hmm. right? The same way that the coffee was able to replace whatever worrisome thoughts I have, those worrisome thoughts come and go. And when I'm done drinking the coffee, some other thought may come and the coffee's going to go. So th there's there's a bit of a, a mindset that, that also a person gets into and realizes that what's worrying us are all 
fleeting thoughts and then data from our body that's responding to those thoughts, making us feel uncomfortable. Like you mentioned before, it's not comfortable to have uncertainty. Our body doesn't like it. So let me, let me, let me push back actually, because don't I have to worry? Like, isn't this a time to worry right Mm now? Shouldn't I be planning? Part of me sort of feels great when like I freak out and say, you know what? I bought Mm -hmm. five pounds of matzah Mm -hmm. and you know, I stocked the fridge, right? Why, why should I turn that off? Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with you. Worry is useful. Worry is really, really useful. We need to worry in order to plan for the future. One of the theories is that there's probably like uh, two types of thinking. One is is rational, right? I need to make a checklist. And I use that rational part of my brain when I need to do math and when I need to make, you know, certain decisions. And then there's the emotional part of my, my, my brain, which lets me know when I'm feeling things. And that's really important because I need to know who I like and when I'm safe and, and when, I'm, when I want to feel joyful and what, what moves me and what I care about in that way. In times like these, we end up thinking a lot more with the negative emotion part of the brain. And it makes it really hard to think with the rational part. What we try to do sometimes is, is balance the two so that if we're freaking out, we can notice the thoughts that are making us nervous, notice the feelings that might be bothering us, and try to rein them both in and decide to make better decisions. So we don't have to buy a month's worth just because I'm uncomfortable with uncertainty. I could still be somewhat rational and reasonable and buy the, the right amount of food. I can respond in a reasonable way, in the, uh, a measured way to the things that are going on so that I can prepare, not, not worry needlessly or uselessly in excess. So, so Eitan, how do I know um, when my worries and my feelings are, are valid and important for me to plan for the future? And how do I know when, uh, when they spun out of control or when those worries are probably too much and maybe I need to sip my coffee a little slower? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So I, I like to use the analogy of, of a bus. We're the bus driver. And we have different things that happen to us in life. So we, we, that's like us stopping off at, at, at various bus depots. And different things get on and off. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. There are all these little voices that sit on the bus and they tell us things. They tell us, you know, you're great or you're terrible or who do you think you are or you better really buy more food or you're going to be in trouble. Now, Sometimes that stuff can become like a cacophony and, and a person will just pull over the bus and say, forget it, I'm not driving anymore. Netflix. But right, your mind right, 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 right. Yes. Some people <laughs> stop. They stop the bus. They get off. And they just say, forget it. I'm going to go watch Netflix and, and ignore everything in the back. Um, but all those voices have something to tell you. And the question is going to be whether you continue to drive the bus. So, for example, if, if you say, I'm not driving anymore and I let anxiety drive the bus – my panic is going to drive the bus. You're going to end up with, you know, a freezer full of food and um, no space to keep any of the the, the fresh food and uh, no money or whatever. So you know, you'll you'll end up making a bad some bad decisions about your stockpiling methods, right? Or you may shut down and just say, "I'm not I'm not driving at all. I'm staying home. We're gonna I'm turning this thing off. I'm not doing anything because I don't know how to respond." Those are the not so useful versions. But if we decide that, yeah, those voices can keep going in the back of the bus. I'm still driving. I'm going to make the decisions and I'm going to listen to the fears and the worries. I'm not going to let them either shut me down or push me too hard in any direction because I know where I want to go. There's a part of me that knows the right answers to these questions. And I want to listen to that part more than I do any of those worries. Mm -hmm. I can listen to those voices and take them into account, 
But ultimately, if we stop long enough or we listen hard enough, we can. We, there's an us that's driving the bus that sort of knows what the right thing to do is most often. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that uh, when our worries serve us um, and can be productive, then we should let them drive the bus around for a little while. But uh, but it's time to fire them or kick them off the bus once we've done a fair a fair bit of rational planning. I think it's a bit more subtle than that. They're not going to get off the bus. Mm-hmm. And you can't really let them drive the bus for long or it's going to crash. We have to kind of remain. Wait, wait. So be clear. I'm driving. And when my yes. worries are in charge, then what? They're they're in the front of the bus? They're yelling. They're ye- you're responding. Oh, you're responding. Got it. Yes. You're taking, you're taking direction from them. If you if you decide to, to let them sort of, you know, yell in your ear and you listen, mm-hmm. then you could end up in a, in a bad spot or, you know, doing making extreme decisions that you'll regret. And th- this is in all sorts of – all parts of life. Uh, it's not always clear what we should do, mm-hmm. but th- we usually kind of know a little bit of where we want to get down the line. Yeah, I think this conversation and that analogy is very useful because it reminds me how much of my life I go through life actually not realizing that I'm the bus driver. To a large extent, I let whatever feeling, emotion, uh, event uh, control which direction I take. And there is a part of me that realizes that I, I need to uh, to grab hold of the wheel just a little bit more for a more stable, healthy, um, calm drive. And that, that I think is, is powerful for me to realize, yes, this is an anxious time. This is a time where I need to make the right moves to make sure my family is safe and secure, that I have a responsibility to the larger community to make sure the larger community is safe and secure. But I don't want to freak out and I don't want it to be this unpleasant, you know, zigzag bus ride. There's a way to, to drive this bus calmly, even in the face of, of something uncomfortable and difficult. So I appreciate that analogy. Sure. I don't want to get too far afield, but there is an, an excellent song by a band called Incubus. And the lyrics really, really speak to this. It goes, sometimes I feel the fear of uncertainty stinging clear. And I can't help but ask myself how much I let the fear take the wheel and steer. And then he goes on and on explaining how it's driven him in the past. But lately he begins to find that I should be the one behind the wheel. I mean, it's really a very solid song for this analogy in case anybody wants to check it out. That's beautiful. I love these these bus analogies. You know, my son has a song that he loves. It goes, the wheels on the bus go round and round, (laughs) round and round. And I feel like that's a metaphor for for life, you know, like we're going to get through this. Uh, Speaking about uh, kids' songs and kids, um, Eitan, I want to talk to you about children, about how, how we might talk to our children about um, everything that's going on, right? So uh, for many of us, we have young kids at home. Those kids could be teenagers. They could be, you know, nine-year-olds, uh, or they could be, in my case, you know, four-year-olds. How do we talk to our kids about what's going on? Should we talk to our kids about what's going on? Um, any advice you have there? Yeah, it's not easy. And it definitely deserves, you know, some time to think about before we just broach it with our children. So I hope this isn't too late for some people, but hopefully it'll be useful. I'm going to give you a window into a child's brain, for example. Um, When 9-11 happened, it was playing on TV over and over and over again. And then they noticed that when children in schools were drawing their experience, they drew numerous, multiple, over and over again, as if there was a whole city of towers falling down. They didn't understand it was the same thing happening. They thought it was happening over and over and over again. And until people understood that that's what was going on for their children, it was hard to talk about. So one of the things we want to do at the beginning is ask our kids what they think. 
What do they know? What have they heard? What kind of information do they have rumbling around in their tiny, young, cute, undeveloped brains? And how can we help them sort it out? You'll be amazed what you hear when you ask them what they think. Um, They may know a lot. They may know very little. They may believe some things that are way, way out of proportion. And our job is then to try to let them know that they are ultimately very safe. They really are. In this in this pandemic of all things, they're okay. And most of us will be okay. Although it, it, there may be a time period that there's a lot of people who are sick. And that's important for them to know. We can prepare them by letting them know they may be home from school. You know, the things that we know are going to happen that are not incredibly scary, we could tell them are going to happen. And the most important thing for parents is to try to stay as calm as possible and look out for children acting very differently suddenly. Mm-hmm. If they if they start having a real reaction, if you see them regressing, if they start acting younger than they are, if they start acting much more violent than they used to, um, if you see incredible mood swings, then, then, then it's time to really speak to a professional. But at the very least, just talk to them, listen to them, see what they know, and make them feel as safe as, as they really truly are without our own anxieties getting in the way. Would you say that that's like a key factor here, uh, maybe even more than how to talk to your kids is how to be with your kids? You know, if we're not acting like everything's okay and a child can sense that, you know, is that going to have an impact on our kids? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's it's such a such a great point. They say like emotions are contagious and kids especially, they see every little subtlety on our face. They're looking out. They could sense what's going on with us because they know us very, very well. So one of the things I might recommend to be really present with our children. One of the incredible things about Shabbos is the opportunity to create our own space for our family to do the things that they might normally do with other people or be led by others. So for example, we can do Kabbalah Shabbat together in our own homes and sing together. Even though it may not be something that we're always comfortable doing in front of a whole crowd, we could sing with our children in our house, even though it may not be intuitive to us that that should be done. We could lane the Torah for our children if we know how, or let anybody of the age read to us just to make to to, to mm. keep us together. Th- th- those are some like small things. Yeah, I saw and, a friend of mine uh, posted on Facebook uh, how he set up his living room um, as a shul, uh, a mm. little table with a talis spread over it, where he put a chumash to to actually read Torah. He had a little divider um, and set up groups, and had his eldest daughter be the group leader. Uh, so it's really interesting that you're saying that. It, it sounds like keeping some semblance of routine and structure and ritual um, is calming. Yeah. And stepping into a place where we may not always be. Like, I'm I'm not the guy who always wants to dive in front of everybody. But maybe it's a time to sort of step out of that comfort zone and be that for our kids mm-hmm. so that they can have it. Um, even if somebody plays an instrument, do Kabbalah Shabbat early together. Play guitar. Sing together. Let's get back to uh, presence with kids, though. Ultimately, we do have a lot of worries and let's say, you know, the time comes, the rituals are over, the meal is over, we're sitting on the couch, we're with our kids, it's a quiet moment, let's say they're reading, or you're playing a board game, and suddenly, your mind goes there. So, Imo, I'm going to ask you a question now. You have a scrapbook at home of, of old photos, right? I'm not the scrapbooker in our family, but uh, my wife has plenty of pictures, um, and lots of, uh, yes, there are scrapbooks. Do you ever pull them out and, and look at an old picture? And a whole storyline comes to mind. Like, I remember that. Sure, all the time. And that's what was happening then. Right, okay. So I, I want to I suggest that if you could for me, take a moment and tell the story of what's going on right now for you in your house. What do you notice? What are the special things that are happening now? That if you took a picture 
and you looked at it in the future, those are the things that you would look at. Well, right now I can hear my uh, I can hear my son downstairs, my four year old, who's home from school, uh, walking around and singing Hanukkah songs. He still hasn't gotten over the fact that it's not Hanukkah. How old is he? He's four. He's four. He's still he's still into Hanukkah, even though we're in we're in March. It's it's what year is it? It's twenty twenty. Yes. How old are you? I'm thirty three. You're thirty three years old. You have a four year old kid downstairs in this moment. If you were to take a snapshot right now of a scene in your home, whether it's of you sitting where you are or a scene of your family downstairs or when you're sitting later at the Shabbos table with your family, a snapshot or you shopping, what's the story you would tell about that moment? Instead of waiting for later to look back on memories, we can be really present if we tell the story in the present. We can really experience it much more if we notice what's going on around us. So you just did that really, really well. Like, look, there's my four-year-old kid. Remember when he used to be stuck on Hanukkah? Mm-hmm. That's like, yeah, I'm going to miss that. Mm-hmm. That's really cute. He's never going to be four and stuck on Hanukkah again. I don't miss it. And I'm never going to be up at 5.30 in the morning singing Mahos. Exactly. And, and when he moves out and you miss yeah, him, yeah, yeah. you're going to want that. Mm-hmm. And all the things that we live through so quickly without stopping to appreciate them, that's how we could be really present. Like, oh, I'm so bored. I have to play this board game with my kid that I hate. But, but dude, but you're, you're playing a board game with your kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very useful. A lot of the reframing, seeing the positive. Eitan, thank you so much for, uh, for helping pluck me out of the, uh, the endless stream of, of worries and concerns and fears. This was really great. Thank you. I'm really, I'm, I'm so happy that I can somehow provide any amount of relief. And uh, thanks so much for, for even allowing me to, to try to share, to try to pitch in a little bit here on the really uh, amazing efforts that you guys are, are putting out there to try to help the community. Absolutely. And, and full disclosure, Eitan is actually our chief operating officer at Aleph Beta. <laughs> Uh, so he is no stranger to what it is that we do. Uh, we just figured we had a, a trauma therapist on staff, uh, and this was uh, a really great opportunity to hear from you in a capacity I'm not used to hearing uh, from you. But uh, thank you, Eitan. Thank you all so much for listening. As a reminder to everybody, Aleph Beta is currently free to anyone in quarantine or practicing social distancing. If you want to help us out and uh, ensure that we can continue to provide free resources, if you're not already, please consider becoming a member. You can do that at alephbeta.org. That's the, the best way to, to make sure that uh, we have the support we need in order to continue to create resources like this. We really appreciate all the support. And don't forget to be in touch with us. We love hearing from you. Tell us your story. Send us a voice note at info at alephbeta.org or just your general comments. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>